It's July 17, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we'll be your geeks in residence for the next hour. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Jeffrey Liu from the Hawaii Health Information Exchange to tell us about the upcoming HHIE IT Summit. Finally, we'll get a distinctly local view of augmented reality as we talk to Hawaii's first Google Glass users, as well as players of Google's geolocation-based Ingress. A quick programming note, this week's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your calls, but we always welcome your feedback. Now, the headlines. Well, the State Energy Office has a new new tool for drivers of electric vehicles who may sometimes experience range anxiety, knowing that concerns about limited driving distance are one of the biggest barriers to EV adoption. The state on Friday said there's an app for that. Uh, now, uh, there's now a free EV Stations Hawaii mobile app available for both the Apple iOS and Google Android smartphones that will show EV drivers the nearest charging stations, locations, and driving directions for all four Hawaii counties. Previously, the state was maintaining a list of charging stations and posting them to its website as a PDF file. But it wasn't easy to update, and the spreadsheet wasn't exactly easy to access while on the road. Now the new app plugs into a dynamic database served up by the state's open data portal, and the Energy Office is inviting the public and other EV charging station operators to submit locations that are not currently on the map. Well, the app is a partnership between the State Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism, uh, the nonprofit Honolulu Clean Cities Coalition, and Hawaii Information Consortium, which develops a variety of online tools for government. Uh, Governor Neil Abercrombie said in a statement, convenience is a key to furthering the adoption of EVs. The EV station's Hawaii app is a great example of our state using new technologies to advance the widespread use of electric vehicles in Hawaii. And, you know, this is kind of uh, encouraging because, you know, as we've been following open data and and looking at the fact that there is a a, a data set on the open data portal at uh, data.hawaii.gov that shows uh, EV locations, and uh, this app is uh, is a result of them accessing that and building an app around uh, EV stations. And it's interesting because a year ago we had uh, various app contests and people were developing apps even for the Microsoft platform mm-hmm, to help mm-hmm. you find these stations. But what these developers were doing were downloading the PDF, putting it into their own spreadsheet and setting up a separate database, which certainly isn't the most efficient way to go, especially if that list would change. So now we're seeing that it's directly supported by the Open Data Portal. I thought it was interesting, though, that the state government also commissioned uh, the HIC to do the app, although there, of course, will be an opportunity with the data set for anyone to create an app. That's true. And uh, the other thing that's interesting about this app is that you can now enter in EV stations that perhaps aren't listed, and they have a process by which those entries will now get incorporated into the open database uh, that's already up there. Right. There are a number of operators, not just the ones that the state was involved in. So I think that's certainly a good idea. And I know range anxiety is still an issue. I mean, a good friend of mine, uh, Scott, drives an electric vehicle, a Chevy Volt, and the only thing he ever seems to post to Twitter about it is how far he's gotten. So it's always on your mind so you can have a little more peace of mind yeah. using the And app. I understand uh, they spent about $16,000 to uh, do this mobile app. So. And I think there are more in the works. Yeah. A new study by researchers at the University of Hawaii at Maanoa has found yet another challenge facing the native Hawaii creeper. 
That's an olive green bird with a black mask and a straight bill, and it's seen its numbers in a steep decline over the past decade and a half. Between 2001 and 2007, the Hawaii creeper population has declined by more than 60% in the Hakalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge on the windward slope of Mauna Kea. And of the birds that are left, as few as 22% of them are female. Well, Leonard Fried and Rebecca Can, Rebecca Can have been tracking the bird populations for some time and focus on the Hakalau Refuge as it has the best population of Hawaii creepers on the Big Island. And as the creeper population drops, the researchers believe an introduced species is to blame. The Japanese white eye is competing with the Hawaii creeper for its insect prey in its limited habitat. With its food supply constrained, the Hawaii creepers are today smaller, with shorter bills and legs than their ancestors just a few years ago. A previous study had found that the molting schedule of the Hawaii creeper had also been disrupted, and since the birds form long-term pair bonds, with females facing much of the risks of nesting and child-rearing, the gender disparity is cause for concern. Freed said in a statement, We know the creeper is in serious trouble and we urgently need to increase adult female survival. This will include controlling Japanese white eyes. Also, captive breeding may be necessary to produce females that can be released into the wild to restore the adult sex ratio. Now, the uh, thing that's not uh, totally clear is why is this affecting more of the female sort of mortality rate than the male mortality rate? And I guess what they hypothesize that maybe it's more energy required to to bring up the young that's a, the female's job, and, and because of that, maybe their mortality rate is, is can't handle it. Right. Well, they do have long-term pair bonds, and the males do contribute both during the uh, gestation and the child-rearing phase, but uh, they talk about this tension and that perhaps uh, the females might be overcompensating from a lack of participation after the chicks are born. Oh. Um, and because, again, with food being the primary resource constraint, their survival rates are lower. It's more of a struggle for them. So is it like those males are just kind of like running away and not, you know, <laughs> owning up to their responsibilities? Well, if you're responsible Responsible for bringing food and regurgitating it, and it's harder to find, you know, that also might be part of the challenge as well. But it's an interesting study, and we've been following the Hawaii creeper for quite a bit. This refuge, 34. 100 uh, hectares, it's open forest, they're combining, uh, comparing that population with a more constrained and protected one, but they're saying that it is a larger trend. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll That's have a to... concern, right? Absolutely. Well, uh, in other news, uh, actually other bird news, endangered right. birds on Maui will soon have safe havens from predators thanks to two new protective enclosures uh, being built by First Wind, a renewable energy company now building the second phase of its 51-megawatt wind farm on Kaiava Ridge. The company unveiled the first of three acre enclosures last week, built as part of mitigation efforts called for in its uh, habitat conservation plan. The plan was first of its kind for a utility scale and uh, wind project intended to enclose or ensure a long-term net conservation benefit for endangered species. Bird strikes caused by collisions with the large turbines of wind farms are one of the main environmental hazards of such renewable energy projects. First Wind has launched its Makamaka Ole Seabird Mitigation Project in partnership with other groups and experts focused on Pacific seabird conservation. The first enclosure is for the endangered Newell's Shearwater, and the second is designed for the Hawaiian petrel. The former includes barriers to repel predators like rats, mongoose, and cats. There are also artificial burrows, custom decoys, and even a sound system broadcasting bird calls to attract birds to nest. 
But the company says the enclosures will remain standing indefinitely with monitoring by biologists for at least the next 20 years, aided by cameras installed in the enclosures to monitor the bird populations and its nesting habits. Dave Cowan, Vice President for Environmental Affairs at First Wind, said in a statement, these enclosures will protect and bolster Hawaii's endangered uh, native bird species for years to come. We look forward to seeing the entire site come to serve as a gathering place and safe haven for these vulnerable birds. Now, you know, we've uh, we've been covering some of uh, these uh, birds that nest in areas that are perhaps subject to feral cats and other sort of ground predators. So I can see sort of a fenced area around maybe the, the first, in, um, first wind area. But uh, as it pertains to protection from the actual turbines, that might be a little bit more complex. Right. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, approach. Certainly the concern is birds striking the mm-hmm. uh, right. turbines, whereas this uh, safe haven is 10 miles west of Wailuku. But essentially they're saying if these birds are endangered and threatened, I mean, if the bigger picture is that they have predators and they need safe places to nest in addition to the bird strike uh, threat, then maybe this is at least some way to help with that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're right, though. We've covered uh, you know predator-proof fences over at mm-hmm. Kiana Point mm-hmm. and finally being able to go and hike out there and actually see these birds. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good approach. And they actually hired a New Zealand-based company to build these enclosures, and they've done exactly the same thing for similar reasons on other Pacific mm-hmm, islands. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I would think that it'd be uh, probably counterproductive if they built sort of high fences around the turbines. But, the, right, right. you know, I think there's probably strategies to perhaps have sounds or lighting away from the turbine so that they get attracted away from, you know, that particular area. Right. So and this is this is just for those, uh, I think there are three endangered or threatened bird species they're, look, they're looking out for, as well as the Hawaiian hoary bat. Uh, so hopefully the population will be able to sustain itself. Mm-hmm. The Hawaii Public Utilities Commission last week announced the filing of three orders that help lay the groundwork for Hawaii's energy independence efforts. The PUC's latest moves were among the highlights of the Hawaii Clean Energy Day event held at the downtown YWCA on Friday. The first order solicits proposals for clean energy projects with 200 megawatts of capacity. That's several times larger than any renewable energy system deployed in Hawaii to date. The second order calls for a cost-benefit study of an inter-island undersea power Power transmission cable between Maui and Oahu. Well, the third order focuses on large-scale wind power on Lanai, similarly focusing on how it might interconnect with the energy grids of other islands. Supporters, including the Blue Planet Foundation, say that the PUC's action addresses the need to better understand the statewide availability of clean energy resources. Citing the state's goal of reaching 40% clean energy generation by the year 2030, uh, Foundation CEO Jeff Mikolinas pointed out that there are no projects proposed on Oahu that could meet that target. The PUC's solicitation allows the examination of meeting Honolulu's demand by finding supply elsewhere. He said the PUC approach also allows different stakeholders and different projects to pool their resources to find a solution rather than requiring an energy developer to also provide an energy generation project as well as a means of transmitting it. Mikulina said in a statement, This is an effort to shake the trees and identify the best available clean energy options for Hawaii. Blue Planet appreciates the proactive, broad-view approach the commission is taking. Well, this is an interesting approach. I mean, we have been covering elements of of this sort of uh, clean energy plan. And I know we've uh, talked to several people about the inner island cable to transmit the power. But, you know, I think if you look uh, at those projects isolated from everything else, then they start to become uh, 
perhaps easy targets for opposition. Well, that and it's a higher barrier for any developer. So mm-hmm. in this case, they're taking the segmented approach and saying the person who talks about or helps us develop an inter-island power transmission cable does not have to necessarily be the person that provides or generates the power on another island. It can be separate. They can work together, but they can be a, they can be looked at separately. And I think it's a, certainly a good point, uh, also a point of contention. You know, Oahu right now has maybe 12 percent uh, renewable power generation, mm-hmm. and they want to get to that uh, 40 percent, but it simply most likely won't be able to happen only on Oahu. So they are looking for uh, places that have great wind or other uh, energy resources on other islands. Right, and, and I think it has to be looked at as more of a holistic approach and not just, you know, one <laughs> one island sort of sucking up all this energy from, from the neighbor islands. So if there's a way to sort of integrate the plan. I think that's the approach that they're taking. Right. Good, good stuff. Uh, finally, a couple of quick stories I wanted to share with you. Bishop Museum last week launched a new multilingual audio tours for visitors. And rather than relying on proprietary headphones or speaker sticks, the new system takes advantage of the smartphones and other mobile devices already carrying, you're, that you're carrying. The audio uh, was edited in-house, in-house and is available in English, Japanese, Chinese, and Korean and Hawaiian. There's even a kid-friendly version narrated, narrated by kids. And on the tech calendar, next Tuesday brings a talk story with Hank Rogers. Rogers founded the Blue Startups Accelerator and is hosting an open conversation at the Blue Startups headquarters in downtown Honolulu. There will also, of course, be life-size Tetris to play and foosball as well for entertainment, as well as a new twist that is going to be announced for the Accelerator program. Again, that's Tuesday, July 23rd at 5.30 p.m. at their offices at the lower end of Merchant Street. For more information, you can visit facebook.com slash Blue Startups. And now joining us here in the studio is uh, Jeffrey Liu from the Hawaii Health Information Exchange, and he's here to tell us about the IT Summit. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Good afternoon. Thanks for inviting us. Oh, good. Um, now, the HHIE, that's the Hawaii Health Information Exchange, uh, uh, you maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, just real briefly what the exchange is all about and, and why this IT Summit is something that you folks are now putting uh, putting forward. Well, the Hawaii Health Information Exchange, uh, we've been here for a bit, uh, little while, but we're focused on uh, facilitating the exchange of health information here in Hawaii, primarily from the uh, provider community. So that would include hospitals, laboratories, and, and physicians. It's mm-hmm. part of a larger uh, movement uh, nationally. It uh, currently is fairly funded, uh, but we're moving into a, a Hawaii-supported uh, phase and and uh, and going active with many of our projects. And so we do want to make sure that uh, the readiness of the community to begin health information exchange and uh, is there. And, and so our, our topics are very much geared toward you know, being both informational as well as support in terms of what you need to do to uh, in- exchange information, how, how are we handling your information, address any concerns folks have about security, privacy, and then just uh, and then there will be a component in terms of the the national meaningful use of uh, electronic uh, health records mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, will be providing a number of sessions to basically address different pieces of the program that providers, principally uh, uh, small practices, uh, but also. Uh, to some degree, uh, hospitals, uh, but uh, what they need to do in order to get the incentive monies that are available to them for implementing electronic health technologies. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a pretty uh, extensive deployment, uh, and I'm, I'm imagining that there's probably a lot of service providers and, and physician offices that are interested in, in what 
impact it has on them. Who are you going to have as the, let's say, session um, um, sort of speakers? I mean, who's going to conduct these sessions? Uh, our keynote speaker is uh, Dr. Paul Tang. Uh, he's actually one of the major contributors on the national scene to this uh, meaningful use or of use of electronic health uh, records. So he'll be actually being able to speak very much from a first-person standpoint mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, why we included requirements in our program. You know, how are we trying to uh, get the implementation of electronic health technologies out there, uh, uh, how we're, how are we going to foster the exchange of information between the different players, and ultimately how is this going to improve healthcare outcomes and and the coordination of care uh, for for patients in in at the state. Mm-hmm. Hawaii and then nationally. Mm-hmm. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the Hawaii Island Beacon community on the Big Island and some of the the milestones they're um, coming close to reaching with their uh, meaningful use of adoption of these electronic medical records. Um, so certainly, again, it's 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 of concern everywhere as well as in Hawaii. Uh, it's a summit, so it's trying to bring together people. Uh, who are the primary people you're looking to draw? Is it uh, primarily practitioners? Is it primarily people involved in administration? I would imagine it's all of the above. But uh, what's the makeup of the audience? Uh, pretty much, uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, providers, their support staff uh, are our key uh, key targets, and and really those uh, uh, by design the the federal government put a lot of the incentives on those that were key members of the uh, care community, and so. Uh, uh, you know, there are components for hospitals, but for the uh, HIE and the uh, Regional Extension Center, we're very much focused on the provider community, mm-hmm. the small provider community. Now, um, as a result, I mean, this uh, conference is kind of a, a one-day conference, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to tell us, you know, exactly when and where this is. But uh, what do you want to accomplish out of this? Is it more of an educational thing? Is it more an adoption thing? Is it just kind of getting people all on the same, all on the same page as a deployment? You know, actually, I think we have uh, multiple purposes. I think that uh, we want to be providing information to really demonstrate to the community that the health information exchange is active, mm-hmm. that it, that there are actual good projects going on, good progress going on. It's a very challenging uh, endeavor to implement information exchange, so we do want to get the message out mm-hmm. there that uh, in Hawaii our project is active and there's real deployments going on. And then educational sessions in terms of it's, there's a lot of complexity, actually, and for our small practices with very little resources, I think we're just trying to get information to them so that it's a lot easier for them to really meet their goals in meaningful use. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, where and when is the summit, and where can someone go to register? Okay. So we're July 27th. That's a Saturday. We're all day. We'll be featuring presentations from 745 through 430. It's going to be at the Sheridan Waikiki, and you can register at hawaiihie.org. And this is absolutely free, too. And it's actually free. Oh, good. Thanks, Jeff, for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Brendan Brennan. Paul Lawler and Todd Cochran as they, uh, as we journey down this rabbit hole into augmented reality. Is Google Glass the future of human-computer interfaces? And just where is this globe-spanning battle of ingress folding, unfolding here in the islands? A reminder, today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take, you call, take your calls. And, of course, we hope you enjoy the conversation. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Dietrich Holmes, author of Thriving Through Tough Times. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about cross-cultural strategies to navigate life's ordeals. Sunday morning at 11. In the Atherton on Saturday, July 20th at 7.30, go back in time with world jazz vocalist Allison Adams Tucker as she revisits jazz voice of the 1960s, the bossa nova boom, Betty Carter, Brubeck, and beyond. Allison is joined by local musicians Brian Kessler on guitar and Von Barron percussion. That's one night only, Saturday, July 20th. Tickets at hawaiipublicradio.org or call 955-8821 during business hours. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Brendan Brennan and uh, Todd Cochran and Paul Lawler. Brendan is currently working as a Google Apps architect with the Janus Group and is an educator and researcher over at the University Lab School. Todd is the CEO of Raw Voice, one of the world's leading podcasting networks, and he covers tech news regularly at Geek News Central. He, like Brendan, is one of the first people to get Google Glass. He's also a top resistance fighter in Ingress. And finally, Paul Lawler. He's an educator, a technologist, and uh, also a, uh, I would say, very devoted Ingress faction member. Welcome all of you to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And of course, uh, you know, wearing this computer on your face is something that uh, I'm just trying to get used to looking at you folks now. And, (laughs) you know, I want to start with uh, uh, maybe Brendan telling us a little bit about what uh, what is sort of Google Glass and what is what is it that sort of drew you to participating in this sort of early adoption program? Uh, Well, I sold my soul to Google many years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And. um, it was just an opportunity to try and, you know, do something first and see how we can use it. I know for me personally, um, I saw natural benefits in the classroom and education and research. Uh, so we want to get on board early and often, see if we can start uh, developing some cutting edge tools that other teachers and students can learn in the classroom, mm-hmm. use in the classroom. Now, uh, Todd, uh, you know, you, you guys were probably the first two that I'm aware of that uh, got Google Glass. And, and I know there's a couple others that uh, that did. And the the actual barrier is is rather high. I mean, this is something that you just can't go out and pay a couple hundred bucks, right? I mean, you, you have to really pay for it and fly there to, to pick it up. That's right. Uh, we're kind of guinea pigs for Google in that we uh, forked over 1500 bucks airfare and a hotel stay mm-hmm. to uh, go pick up glass plus, uh, you know, a day in and day out. And uh, you felt that this was something that you had to do? Well, you and, know, and why was that? I mean, why? Well, it, it's for me, you know, I, I have a tech show, mm-hmm. so I wanted to know what was going on and how, how this was going to affect, uh, you know, my audience. Also, you know, I represent about 16,000 content creators and work with those folks uh, through my company, Raw Voice, and I wanted really to understand how this was going to change the dynamic and how they were going to create media as well. So I was looking at Glass specifically as a media creation device, uh, primarily the video aspect and how that's going to uh, um, be good and be positive or negative, you know, depending on how it's going to be implemented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Brendan, can you explain a little bit about what we're looking at? Uh, and I would, uh, it looks like you have your glass running, so the video from this show will also be out there on the Internet somewhere. Right, but right. Uh, basically, it's, uh, it's a set of glasses without lenses in it for you and a heads-up display over your right 
eyebrow. Right. Yeah. You definitely don't look cool wearing them. That's for <laughs> sure. But wait until everybody's wearing them, then it'll be okay. Um, yeah. You have a heads-up display. It's about the size of a 25-inch television screen. Um, you can access email. You can have emails read to you through bone conduction mm-hmm. behind your ear. Uh, you can take video pictures, do Google queries. You've got pretty much all the functionality in your phone. It's a l- very limited right now, but the potential is unlimited. Now, have you, uh, since picking it up, I mean, maybe I'll ask you how long have you already, have you had it? Or maybe you just got, a, got off the plane <laughs> with it? No, no. I, I've had it since uh, late June. Uh-huh. Uh, I went over to Mountain View, the Mountain View uh, complex to, to, you know, pick it up. And In they serve June. you mimosas and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's very Ooh, nice. There's yeah, a fitting nice. ceremony and all these things. Now, so, I heard there was like different colors, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's shale and cotton. And, and then yours cloud. is, Todd, yours is black. It's, they call it charcoal. Char- oh, charcoal. Ah, yeah, of course. Right, there's right, no right. black. <laughs> Right. No, but it's 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 quite an experience, you know. Um, you're treated like royalty, and and it's 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 really fun to get it. Um, since then, I've had them on probably every day. Now, Paul, uh, you're, you've been in the technology industry for well, I don't want to say a long time, but a long time. a long time. And uh, certainly, we've seen uh, technology evolve. How we interact with technology, the 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 advent of of keyboards and then touch, and then you know uh, other ways to interact with your, your computer. Uh, I, there's been a lot of talk in the tech community about Google Glass, and we can talk about some of the social issues in a bit. But as a technologist, do you think that this is the natural next step? Is this better than carrying a computer in your pocket, having it on your face? Oh, yeah. No, I think that wearable devices are certainly a game changer for everybody. I, I don't think it's going to be very long at all before you see many, many people with wearable computers. Well, well what would that? Inc- what, how, how do you describe wearable computers? A, a jacket that's a computer, or a watch that's a computer. Well, I, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, think about your phone. Your phone is now your camera, your watch, your music device, all of those things. Your, your video device, and as we start to have things that are on us that we can use without having to think about it. With, with glass, you don't have to think about it to take a picture. Now, uh, Paul, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here because, you know, we've always had you on the show as, a, as an early adopter, as a, as a gadget geek, since you've always got the, you know, kind of the cool things. Now, what did you think about when Google Glass was made available and your decision to either get it or not get it? And obviously, you know, these guys went ahead and got it. When do you think you'll, you know, jump on the Google Glass bandwagon? Oh, well, I would have gotten it if they accepted me. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, so it was not a matter of you so not the, choosing to get it. They just didn't accept you. Right, there was an open application process. So you had you had that credit card ready to go. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, uh, Todd, walk us through what you're experiencing, and why is this better than pulling out your phone to take a picture? You're walking down the street. You look a little bit like Locutus of Borg, but yeah. you've got some sort of but benefit more to having it. Right, so what does it do for you? Well, I think for the, for the, um, for the uninitiated on glass, it's just the immediate, being able to do it immediately. But I think we have to, have to understand that this is not a replacement for your mobile phone at this point. You can take a picture. You can reward a, a, a video. You can send a text message. You can reply to a tweet, those kinds of things. But you're not going to browse a website with Glass in its current function. There are apps, but the thing that people have to remember about Glass is the simplicity. Everything is very simple. The menu items are simple. And designers that are going to be designing for this are going to make it so that you can one voice command to do something. I don't think it will ever replace a mobile phone or a tablet um, from a mobile standpoint, but it's going to enhance the ability for you to do cool things uh, with that 
and we'll probably talk about the social aspects of that as well. But um, for me, uh, driving down here today, um, I just basically I started over at uh, Kailua and I told it glass where I needed to go, and it was able to direct me um, in a very simple way: turn right, turn left, go forward. I knew how to get to the studio, mm-hmm. but it just made it easy, almost like a GPS on my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan. Um uh, well, we can well, let's talk about its impact because certainly mm. when the two of you arrived in the studio, there was suddenly a crowd, and yep. we, including Bert and I, although we're trying to be objective news uh, technology people, uh, could not wait to put them on our face and see what you see and, and get our own picture taken. And so, with it. Uh, you can talk a little bit, perhaps, about the impact being an early adopter has had on you as you walk through an airport, for example. But I do wanted to ask you what you thought about some of the criticisms that people are saying, sort of the same way that people don't like that you can have a camera phone in a gym locker room. People are saying, I don't like Google Glass because I think I'm having a conversation with you. Maybe I'm having a conversation with a million people. Yeah, it, it, the privacy issues are the things that always come up, right? Um, you know, whenever I go into a bathroom, you know, a public bathroom, I put them up on my head so nobody thinks anything's going on that's fishy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, this past weekend I was at a presentation and I, and I was giving a session and I filmed the whole session. And this one woman realized I was filming it. And she said, you don't have my permission to film me. And I said, this is a public space. I don't need your permission to film you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, we started talking about this during the session and what the impacts really were. And we made this analogy to the Cold War when you had this run-up to the arms race with the Soviet Union and the United States. And we never had World War III break out because there was mutually assured destruction because of the arsenals. What we're seeing now is that as people get glass and everybody's recording everybody else and there is no privacy in public anymore, won't that really make us be better people? If we're being accountable to the world and all of our actions are being recorded, we think that maybe there's a chance here that we'll be more thoughtful about the way we interact with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I looked at this from my experience this past weekend as we went to the beach. And my objective was, oh, the kids are going to be playing. I'll get some video of them playing. But we, where we put down our barbecue and stuff, there was a, a birthday party going on next to us, 12 to 15-year-olds, girls. 30 to 40 of them that were running around in their bikinis, and I got really self-conscious real quick. I wasn't doing anything with class, but just the aspect that I had them on, someone else's perception thinking, is he videotaping my daughter? So I actually took glass off and put it in my bag because I felt at that point it wasn't socially a good thing to do, right. even though my jet and, and I could have just pulled out my cell phone and videotaped my kids playing in the sand. But um, so I think there's going to be some social rules that are going to be developed over this over time. There's always going to be people that are going to abuse it. But at some point, people are going to have to we're going to have to know where it's appropriate to use glass recording video. Well, Paul, you know, they've uh, there's someone made headlines probably, you know, intentionally by saying, well, this bar will not allow anyone wearing glass to come in. Already kind of this backlash against this technology while it is still in beta and only, you know, really completely addicted and crazy nerds have them. Um, but, Paul, the other part that I think people are very sensitive to, and this is certainly the case with just mobile phones that everyone's walking around with, is are you engaging with me? Am I actually, are you paying attention to me right. when we're in the same room? Or are you watching an NFL game in the upper right-hand corner of your eyeball? I mean, is, does this make it even more complicated to tell where someone's mind and attention is? You know, interestingly, I think this is a generational thing because my daughter will text while she's talking to me and think nothing of it. She doesn't think it's rude. She's able to multitask and talk to her friends and talk to me at the same time. She thinks it's perfectly okay. Whereas for my generation, that's incredibly rude. 
Now, you know, to to take that to the next level, I mean, you perceive that to be rude. Uh, is the quality of the interaction that you're having with her while she's multitasking as, let's say, focused or genuine as somebody looking you in the eye and responding to you directly, in your opinion? See, I don't think it can be, but she thinks it's perfectly okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I think also the question is, does that matter anymore? Our social interactions are so much in the cloud and the ether and Facebook and all these things that that's really where a lot of these young kids are having their most important social interactions, right? So in her case, it may be that she never learned to because she never had to. The idea of looking someone in the eye when you talk to them and not texting is just something that we don't teach anymore. I think mm-hmm. the one challenge, though, is I attended an event a couple of weeks ago at Ford, and they had us out, and it wasn't a, a sales pitch. It was basically a lot of sessions and conferences, and I, there was one session about this connected all the time society. And one of the gals that was speaking from uh, Stanford, she basically said, we're living in a um, dis- uh, connected, disconnected world. So in other words, we're all connected all the time, but yet we're disconnected from one another. And there's true danger. She feels there's true danger in that. And people that are purists and saying we're using this technology too much um, are going to hate glass. But the people that um, think that this is just the next evolution are going to love it. I'm kind of in between and I feel that any family should probably have no device spaces in their homes or whatever, or even in maybe it's going to have to end up being in the public at some point. But uh, I don't think we're at that. Or at this point right now, we haven't figured that out. Well, you know, I um, I like both of your examples of the experiences that you had using glass. Brendan, you know, you're saying that, you know, it may change the world in terms of how we act to each other if everything is sort of public and, and, and sort of recorded. And And Todd, I like the fact that, you know, you may be at a party and, you know, you've got a 30, 15-year-olds in bikinis and, you know, it might not be appropriate for you to have your glass on looking at them. Right. And, that, and that's, you know, that's socially acceptable. The, I guess w- w- where I'm going with it is, is that, uh, you know, are we sort of testing? And this is what I like about Google. I mean, it's pushing the envelope on this tool. Yeah. And this tool is something that we've never encountered before, right? And this tool is there for us to decide how best to leverage this tool for the benefit of whatever we do. I'm curious about whether or not this tool is going to perhaps create another sort of divide that has the people that benefit from it and those that don't, who don't use it and, and perhaps are at a, at a loss as a result of not using it, Brendan? Well, I mean, we're still at a point where 5 billion people don't have access to Internet, Right. So the divide exists. Um, You know, in discussions this past weekend and people that have glass or play with glass, we see a real opportunity here. And here's one way that we can bring people together. There's an idea for an app. You know, everybody's got one. Imagine that you have a Chinese guy and a Cuban guy and they meet each other and neither one speaks, you know, the other person's language. With glass, the Cuban guy can say something in Spanish. The Chinese guy will hear it translated automatically into his ear into Chinese. And then the Chinese guy can respond in Chinese. So we're really talking about the potential here to get rid of that divide, mm-hmm, that cultural mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the language barriers so that we can have a more global approach to learning and living with each other through technology like this. Mm-hmm. And this is this is not 10 years from now. This is 10 weeks from now mm-hmm. that we'll be able to do it. Well, okay, yeah. But is that is that a reality? I mean, is that a ability for translation to occur at in somewhat real time available? Absolutely. You can right now you can do a Google search. You can speak into the Google search, hit Google Translate, and it it'll say it back to you. We'll even show it in the you show uh, it right the there Asian so you can language. read it. Yeah. Well, Todd, um, for me, I can see 
that Google is not uh, unaware of these concerns. Certainly, they're paying just as much attention to the social side as well as the technology side. For example, what I thought immediately when I heard of Google Glasses, uh, I, I am terrible with names. I am so terrible with names, I imagine that 90% of the people I meet consider me a complete and total jerk because all I can say is, good to see you. Great to see you again. You I, and I, you and I, I share a similar trait. I assume I recognize you. You're, right. It's good to see you, but actually I have no idea who you are. <laughs> they can tell. So I see this and I go, that's what I want. I want to, as, as a guy approaches me, I'll say, oh, Steve, that's right. You had that startup. How's it going? And, you know, I know, how's your mom feeling? You know, I know she had that fall. But Google has specifically said facial recognition is not something they're right. going to allow in day one. Do you think that that makes sense? Is that part of this negotiating uh, a path to the acceptability of this? I think it would be really weird to be walking down the street and have people that you don't know identify you and get uh, your Google Plus profile or whatever, you you know, wherever you're, you know, your Facebook uh, profile. I don't think that would be uh, cool at all. And I don't think that Google's going to allow that. But unfortunately, what's going to happen is there may be a third-party developer that will come out that will build something that will go on a different platform that will maybe push those boundaries. Now, now that being said, Google has allowed uh, the creation of an app for doctors to identify patients through facial recognition and bring up their medical profile. So they're, they're starting to think about ways that we could use those things, um, and they're giving certain permissions to other people. But you're right. I mean, they want to be very sensitive and careful about how this is released. Well, okay, so, so Todd, you said that that might be kind of uh, uh, maybe unacceptable or awkward, but if you think about it, so Ryan walks down the street, he sees somebody he doesn't recognize, but they recognize him, and, and so he has to make some, some social mm. acknowledgement. But if you had the ability to rather more real-time, instantaneously look up, you know, sort of do a quick uh, Google search on their name or, mm-hmm. or have some facial recognition that gives you some instantaneous uh, response to some information about them, isn't, just that, isn't that just using technology at a more, in a more timely and efficient manner? Right now I can say, okay, glass, and I can Google a name. And like if I Google my name, my Wikipedia entry comes up, and it basically gives me a little profile on my Wikipedia. So from that aspect, as long as I know the person's name, I can Google them right, on right. glass at this point. But again, remember that glass is not on all the time. You actually have to physically mm-hmm, activate mm-hmm. it to do it. So unless you know, unless you you know, it, it would work maybe in a party situation where the guy's across the room. You're saying, "Oh, who is that?" But I don't think in a just meet someone on the street, it's going to be it's going to be awkward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, we already do it. Right. I mean, you 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 know, I'm an education architect from the Janus Group. I didn't tell you that. Mm-hmm. So you you Google stocked me. Right. Right. But right, it, right. Now we just do it more efficiently. Right. So yeah. so it's allowing us to save time where we can do other things and actually maybe have a more meaningful interaction. It's interesting. I see this as an opportunity also for, you know, guys and girls to form more meaningful relationships. Maybe one of the uh, examples was that a guy is sitting with glass talking to a girl on a first date and she says, oh, I love the Twilight movies. <laughs> the guy has no idea what the Twilight movies are, but then quick search of Google Glass. Oh, my favorite character is, you know, so it's it's a way to do things more efficiently um, well, for good have, and evil. It, I'm it, not it, sure it, if I would like that. Yeah, <laughs> it would have helped me on my first date because I think I was calling my wife uh, a wrong name the whole first <laughs> oh. date. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Well, we want to talk a little bit more about some of the actual uh, experiences you've had uh, with, with ga- Glass uh, kind of going through the, uh, let's say, the uh, your social... Uh, uh, sort of paths and yep. want to hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short break uh, and continue our conversation with 
Brendan Brennan and Paul Lawler and Todd Cochran about Google Glass and augmented reality. We will also expand and talk about Ingress, a battle that's unfolding around you right now. So don't go away. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I listen to Hawaii Public Radio all the time, usually while I'm in my car driving from one place to another. I love the news programs on public radio. I love listening in the morning and getting a good synopsis of what's going on for the day and then the commentary that breaks it down. And I feel like it's, it's good, solid news that I can trust. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Hoku Award winner Nathan Avial, ukulele master Benny Chong, and classical guitarist Ben Verdery join Jeff Peterson in the Paliku Theater on Sunday, August 4th at 4 p.m. Enjoy an afternoon of slack key, jazz, and classical music, plus new songs inspired by Jeff's recent trip to South America. Make your reservations at hawaiipublicradio.org and click on events or call 955-8821 during business hours. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Brendan Brennan, Paul Lawler, and Todd Cochran about augmented reality, Google Glass, and Ingress. And, of course, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about some of the uh, the social norms using glass. And, and Brendan, you were telling us that maybe there's some sort of... Uh, communities or or maybe you can you are getting identified as a, a glass user by certain kind of names i mean what what's, right. what's being called what are people calling you nowadays well i Other mean board you know, members that, yeah. that's right no i mean it's uh you know Jordy LaForge, you know, all mm, these things. Oh, Jordy, yeah, um, yeah. But but there's certain words that are beginning to enter into lexicon as they do with other technology that we adopt. Uh, you know, my favorite one is that uh, somebody at, at a conference called me a glass hole because mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I had my glass on all the time and they didn't like it. They didn't they like it, okay. It. Right, or a glass hat, or um, <laughs> which is really, I mean, and those things are, you know, people are offended by this, of course, so we have to start developing rules, as we talked about, the things we're calling glass kit right? Um, he took them off when he was at the beach. Right. Maybe we shouldn't wear them when there are girls with bikinis around or when we're in a public toilet or, you know, mm-hmm, think we're, at, mm-hmm, we're on a date, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't do those things. So we're starting to feel our way through it and mm-hmm. trying to adapt it to our lives around us. And I think it's a really exciting time uh, to be in this kind of infancy of this brand new technology. Now, the attraction, I think, is pretty widespread across uh, practices, across industries. Uh, Paul, you're an educator among many other things. And certainly you can see kind of applications for augmented reality kind of layering uh, technology over the world you're experiencing for a teacher. I, I, I've seen many of the use cases for Google Glass where somebody can take you on a tour of, say, the Bofin Memorial, but you're just watching someone's first-person experience going on that tour. And you could be in Pearl City or you could be in Afghanistan and taking that tour. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine that this is almost a combination of podcasting and um, virtual reality tours at a way to experience something without actually having to go there. I mean, obviously, there's nothing that beats going someplace. And I teach information technology and tourism for the School of Travel and Industry Management. So we are very much in favor of people actually going places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and experiencing things firsthand. But you can't go every place in the world. And this is a great opportunity for people to share what's around them with other people. Well, you know, we, we did a story about uh, Google and the, um, the Trekker. Now, all the, all the trekker needs is a version, a glass version, as they're trekking on the trails. And there's certainly something compelling about that first-person perspective. Um, um, uh, uh, 
Gina Trapani, one of my favorite uh, technologists in San Francisco, um, just had a baby. And so she's using glass to take pictures and interact with her baby. And because she's not holding a smartphone in front of the baby's face or, heaven forbid, a giant video camera, Mm -hmm. the reactions she gets out of the baby are much more natural. And when I'm looking at a picture of the smiling baby, I can almost feel the love Mm -hmm. that she does because it's coming from her point of view. Now, Brendan, you said uh, you're involved with education at Mm -hmm. the university lab school. And uh, are there some ideas that's percolating in your head about how you might want to use glass? The implications for education are huge. You know, as as he said, you know, the the idea that you can go on field trips or, you know, visit the CERN laboratory or share information experiences from around the world. Um, What we're looking now is coding student learning, right, inside the classroom in a first-person perspective to better understand how they interact with technology and pedagogy, teacher, content, and each other. But even more than that, if we give students glass, now we can code their learning behavior outside of the classroom. So we're not limited to those 45 minutes. What are they doing on the bus? What are they looking at at home? What's interfering with their learning or opportunities? And then we get to this bigger question, really. What is learning? Mm-hmm. Right. What does it mean to learn? And so I'll put the question out there. Why do we have kids go to school? Why? Right. I mean, do, well, we, well, we want them to learn, prepare them for a college career um, and to impart in them knowledge that makes it portable over their lifetime. What we're seeing now is that all the knowledge in the world that we need is sitting on my face. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so now can't we spend more time talking about conceptual development or making connections and applications or what Dan Russell at Google says, meta literacy, being literate about being literate mm-hmm. and being able to sort through information and make connections on a global scale. Because imagine you do a search for the definition of a parallelogram and the search comes up, but it's all been plus one as the best definition for parallelogram from people around the world. So now you're getting access to the best information. Now how do we put that information mm-hmm. to work? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so there's certainly the applications uh, for education for augmented reality, but uh, I did want to get to also the entertainment side, the gaming side, and what uh, kind of sparked this this entire topic for me was uh, a recent obsession with a game called Google Ingress, which in itself is also layering information on top of the world around us. And both Todd and Paul uh, are even more hardcore Ingress players than I am. So, uh, Paul, as impossible as this might sound, can you sort of give someone an idea of what Ingress is? Uh, well, interestingly, the last time I was on your show, I talked about geocaching. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. there's a there's a tie-in here because geocaching is about going new places and discovering things. And, but there's actually a physical container that has to be maintained. Uh, there's an old kind of geocache called a virtual cache where there is no container. And geocaching actually killed virtual caches because people were submitting their doghouse and strange things as places to go geocaching. But Ingress is essentially virtual geocaching where every cache is a virtual. You go to these places and you are the only one who sees this interdimensional portal overlaid <laughs> over right. the, All right. the map. Interdim- so already we've gone off the deep That's end. right. <laughs> so the, this game, Ingress, makes you visit interesting places, I guess. Right. But, so sure, that sounds appealing to me, but what's the game aspect of it, Todd? The game aspect is there's two sides. You have the enlightened and you have the resistance, and there's a backstory behind that, which we encourage people that are interested in reading about the backstory. From that, you basically pick what they call a faction, and the goal is is basically control. So one team is trying to control portals, and uh, you try to take them back and forth from a variety of means within the tools that the game gives you. It's truly a game, but it makes it's not like World of Warcraft. You're not at your computer. You get out and you walk. 
Um, you get in your car and drive someplace. I've seen places in Oahu that I have. And I've been here uh, 16 years. I found places in Oahu I never knew existed. And astonished. This is here. And I mean, you know, I'm, I, my eyes get big. Uh, at the same time, I'm playing a, a game. And I'm out with my kids. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, now, now, Todd, you told me that you have now visited every library on Oahu. Well, Ryan has. And I probably have two. But more importantly, I have probably visited every historic site. Okay. So um, when you go to a historic site, what is it that you actually do with Ingress that makes it the, the game aspect of it? I mean, I know you're part of the resistance. Right. So, when you, so when, you get to, <laughs> when you get to this historic site, do you sort of blast it so that the, the, the enlightened are diminished in their power hold of that, of yeah, that you, historic you virtu- site? You virtually blast the portal okay. with, through the game okay. and using the tools that they have available on your mobile device. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you basically acquire and you, and you basically deploy on the portal to recapture it as your own. So it's kind of like capture the flag in a big way. And I think in Hawaii there's like 780 portals that you can capture the flag basically on. Um, but ultimately what the goal of the game is is to control the mine units. And that's part of the storyline happens when you link different portals together. And this is kind of getting way off the deep end. but um, <laughs> It's territory. You're it's territory. territory. You're controlling territory. It's either blue or green. But right. I, So when I fell into it, um, all of a sudden I'm walking 20,000 steps That's a day. Right. Um, I'm just, well, again, visiting places I never knew existed. And although it's a game and you do want to turn a green portal blue, yep. you're also like, wow, you know, this is actually kind of a nice spot. You know, Kaena yeah. Point or Makapu Lighthouse, stuff that... Kaena Point. So you went all the way out there too? Once, and I'm never doing it again. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's out there. Paul, um, you live out uh, in East Honolulu. What are some of your favorite uh, portal locations, and what has the game done for you? Well, when I first started playing, there were only five portals east of uh, Kahala Mall. Now there are probably about 25, and most of them are ones that I have submitted. Because what Google does is it allows you to find art in public places or a historic building or something significant and submit that as a portal, places of worship. So you can go around and submit things that you would like to propose as portals, mm-hmm. and then Google will approve or deny that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you propose, a let's say, a building or a place of worship, I mean, is there a specific place? Is it a doorway? Is it the back entrance? Is it, you know, is it just, <laughs> you know, being in presence of the building? I mean, how do you how do you know that you're there so that you can blast away the uh, the enlightened? Well, for example, uh, the Pinky Thompson Canoe Halau okay. in Hawaii Kai. Uh, I submitted that as a portal, and there's a little plaque there. You know, saying, you know, okay. we're grateful for Pinky Thompson and all that he's done for us and helped to create this. So I took a picture of the plaque. I submitted that. It was accepted. So basically, the plaque itself becomes the portal. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is approach that, mm-hmm. and then I'm able to, to so play. Your, the, so your phone, the, the, the geolocation on your phone is going to correlate with the location right. of that plaque, and then it, it, it sort of verifies that you're there. Yep. Now, That's this correct. is only running on Android phones, right? I mean, when's, when's it going to be available for iOS? They said that there's um, one in the works. Certainly, I'm waiting for yeah, that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I am so crazy for this game. I bought my first Android device to me too. play this game. You too. Yeah. Um, Brendan, too. are you an Ingress player? Not yet, but it sounds like I'm going to have yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. So am I joining Enlightened or the Resistance? You are resistance. totally enjo- joining the Resistance. Okay, okay. Now, Brendan, can I ask you, uh, yeah. as you interact, you also do a lot of workshops for Google. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we're having a lot of fun running all over town. But what do you think Google is getting out of having geeks like us running all over town. Well, their, their model is do no evil, right? Okay. But they do like to make money, you know? Yes. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I, I see, you know, 
most of their revenue comes from the ads, right? And those ads are targeted towards people's profiles and, you know, their behavior, right? So where they go, what they look at, how much they spend, what they Google search, all of that information is compiled and ads are targeted at you. I imagine this is one great way to, to collect a lot of information. Um, but Todd was talking earlier that maybe that's not the only reason. I, I, it could be that they're, and this is speculation, we have no idea. Because they like to stay completely in character. Right. The only thing Google ever says publicly about Ingress is it's the enlightened versus the resistance. And, 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 and their, te- their whole company, the whole the staff behind this, uh, don't come out and be Google-esque. They come out as, I mean, everything they publish is game-focused. But maybe foot traffic? Um who knows? I got, I've got my device running all the time playing this, so maybe traffic patterns. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's just all kinds of stuff that they could be collecting. It, you know. Well, here's here's think about this incorporating with glass. Now they know what your foot traffic is. So as you're walking down the street, they're going to flash an ad that you know. So, porgy, smorgies, porgy, or whatever it is, is running a special <laughs> on prime rib as you walk by it, right? Uh-huh. Boom, it comes up right on your, your peripheral. Uh-huh. So far, not, but we'll see where it leads. Well, no. right now, um, uh, uh, Jamba Juice is one of the first corporate partners, so every Jamba Juice on the island is a is a uh, is a portal. That's right. And I can see that that's one um, model for them. And I will admit that there, I have had more Jamba Juice since playing Ingress. No, has uh, has has uh, have you gotten any kind of uh, coupons or discounts? That or could certainly that? be the place. But I think I like what Todd says that right now Google has cars driving the road. They got people with backpacks walking trails, but they don't know the natural movements of people say across the Fosse uh, Municipal Block. Mm-hmm. You know, how do they move across a grassy field, or how do they move across any open space that isn't mapped somehow? Mm-hmm. When they say, well, we're going to put a portal here and we're going to put a portal here. And now we know how long it takes people to go between them and how and how they do that. I think that would be attractive to them. But, Paul, there is kind of a, a downside or kind of an interesting side that I've certainly experienced. And I'm wondering if you did. It's just like Google Glass. When you interact with people who aren't familiar with what you're doing, right. they can get a little uncomfortable. For example, uh, here by the station is a portal at the Pan Am building, and you say, hey, I'm going to go blow up the Pan Am building. To a non-playing person, that could be kind of confusing, perhaps. Well, I'm, that's certainly part of it. Another part is that a lot of times you end up taking back a portal at ridiculous hours, like 11 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning. And the security guards kind of look at you like, why are you by my building at 1 o'clock in the morning? Right. So, So they can get you know, sort of video surveillance and they see this guy, you know, roaming around at one o'clock in the morning, that could definitely fall into the hands of the, the FBI. There have been ingress players that have been asked by the police, what are you doing? Uh-huh, and, and, uh-huh. and so far, to date, we don't think anyone's been arrested. They've been basically explained what's, you know, what the game is and what they're doing. And I think overall, they've been, they've been pretty cool with it. Now, uh, when do you see sort of the integration of Ingress and Google Glass? I mean, when do you see that kind of happening? There's already someone that's got an app that's if you if I rooted my glass, that's in other words, I would basically break into the code where mm-hmm, I could manipulate mm-hmm. it myself. There's actually some sort of an app that uh, allows you kind of to see the direction of a portal, but I haven't been brave enough to go there yet. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul, uh, like you said, you wanted to be in the Google Glass program, but you weren't selected. I wasn't either, so we're 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 friends that way. But uh, <laughs> How soon do you think this would actually be consumer ready before you can walk into a store and buy a Google Glass? And will it certainly cannot cost $1,500 at that point? No, I'm sure that the consumer version will be substantially less. 
Yeah, so they're they're talking about possibly a January release. Um, hmm. Actually, glass is not very special technology. It's only about one hundred and fifty dollars worth of innards, you know. Um, so the price point, I think, is going to be between three and four hundred dollars. Now, yeah. Brendan, you said that uh, from a power consumption standpoint, it doesn't last very long. It's a nightmare. I, I'm I'm running low on I mean, battery right now. Right. So you, I mean, you've had it on for the most part, the better part of right. this whole show. And right. are are you going to be able to make it through the show? We'll see. I think you get about forty five minutes of video. Okay. So depending. now, do they have to in you know sort of increase the 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 the, the tech in the glass to make it more resilient, uh, you know, in terms of real use? Sure, sure. And, and, you know, like I was saying this weekend, I saw a presentation from the inventor of glass, and he was wearing the next generation. Uh, It was thinner, smaller, less obvious, and I assume the the, the battery power has got to be better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Todd, uh, how about you? I mean, do you see, when you you have a large audience of people interested in technology, is there consumer interest in Google Glass and wearing a computer on your face? People uh, that are techies are salivating at the mouth to get their hands (laughs) on these things. And again, it depends on the price point. I think if they come in between three and 400 bucks, I think it's, it'll be a wild success. If it's much higher than that, people won't buy it. So what, do you see a Google store opening up, or is this all going to be purchased online, or what's the... There, uh... there are already Google stores that are starting to open up. Uh-huh. I mean, they've, they've opened up a couple of them. Um, but I think they'll probably... I don't think they're going to have its own uh, 3G or 4G access, so it'll probably be something that they'll sell online initially, like they tried with their original self, their phones. Um, but also, Motorola is starting to release the new Google, um, strictly Google Nexus phone. Oh, so the Moto maybe, X? Yeah. And uh, Paul, for Ingress, that doesn't cost anything, I guess, right? <laughs> it doesn't cost anything to play Ingress, but uh, you end up spending a lot of money on gas and <laughs> spending a lot of time. Well, All right, sounds good. Well, uh, Todd or uh, Todd, if somebody was interested in Ingress, where can they go for more information? We definitely want them to come to HawaiiResistance.com. Ah. Get all the details. Join the resistance and help us fight the enlightened. Oh, that sounds good. And Brendan, for uh, Google Glass, where can someone read up and learn about this uh, new technology? Well, I think Todd has some podcasts coming up about things like that. But, um, you know, just go online. Uh, Google Glass on and, and Google Plus has a lot of great information. And so- mine just went off. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brendan Brennan is a Google Labs consultant with the Janus Group. Todd Cochran is the CEO of Raw Voice. And, of course... Uh, Paul Lawler is a consultant and uh, just overall good guy geek, Absolutely. early adopter. And we want to thank you all for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thank you very thank much. You. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can join us live in the studio once again next week when we'll talk about video gamification. And if you miss any part of this show, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at ByteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is Jason Taglianetti, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovic. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Pigeon Head and a song called Power Came Over Me. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. I'm lost in Still time, listen